Hey, we want to welcome the uh, youth group back from a mission trip a week long in Boston doing inner city mission work. Raise your hand if you were part of that. Adam, come up here. Hurry up. Come on. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know if, how many of you have met Adam. He's, he's kind of behind the scenes, but he's our youth pastor in charge of all our youth ministry. Step up there and talk a minute. Say something really cool, okay? Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, we just we just got back last night. Had a nice, nice, uh, short twelve-hour ride home, and uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. We um, I think you could probably talk to each student that went and uh, and hear different stories about how uh, God affected their lives, how He used them to affect the lives of others uh, through serving. I mean, we we were at multiple uh, homeless shelters. Uh, we served there. Um, we. I think God just, God really impacted lives. And I just encourage each and every one of you, if you could find one. Um, who's here? Who else? I know there's Alex and Lindy over there. There's a few of them around here. Am I missing some? There's Preston back there. So there are a few here um, that have went. Um, I know they'd love to talk to you and tell you about what happened. Um, he really moved on some of their lives and uh, really helped to change perspective on uh, who God's people are and, and uh Nice. Yeah, I mean, really broke 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 our heart for what break his, you know. And um, Bible over and over talks about the widow and the orphan and the less fortunate. And and uh, I think he really gave them a, God really gave all the students perspective this week on on what that what it means to love someone uh, when you know you're not getting anything in return. Um, and a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I think that's what was so cool. I mean, we did things where we'll never see the outcome of that. You know, preparing meals. Um, one really neat thing we did was actually make a card um, for, for for the elderly that would receive these meals from um, from this organization. So we made these cards like you are you are you are magnificent and, and loved. You know, uh, we, we I I put that one. I did. I'm like, yeah. Tom's Tom's preaching even further. Um, so you're magnificent and loved, and you're in our prayers, and uh, you know, enjoy your enjoy this enjoy this meal prepared by you know these hands, and just really cool stuff like that. And some of the kids thought it was creative, fun things to do, and it was just it was really. Um, like I said, it, not only did it impact them, but more so, I think, than, than anything. They could tell you stories of, of other people and, and just how God, I guess, increased the love that they have for others. Uh, so it was just an amazing trip, and I'm, I would trade it. It was, it was awesome. So. Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> nice. You know, if, uh, if you're a high school kid, uh, he says students, uh, your kids. Uh, if you're a high school kid... Uh, or a middle school kid, that's the man you want to hang around with right there. That's the man who has something from God for you. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Small groups are breaking out and stuff like that. The two main meetings are the middle school Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Middle school, and by that here we mean 6th, 7th, and 8th. If you're in that age, if you're in those grade ranges, come at the 9 o'clock and you don't have to listen to me. Ooh. Some of you are suddenly feeling so much younger. Nine o'clock, that's the main meeting for the middle school. And then six o'clock on Sunday nights is the main meeting for the high school kids. So come on. And if you know some, some kids in these age ranges, uh, let's get them here, right? Nothing like coming into a group right after it's had uh, kind of an epic encounter with God, too to really get your fire started. So, pretty cool? Yeah? 
Did God really heal somebody who shot herself in both ankles? Hello? People, is that off the hook or what? I mean, is that even beginning to register to you? She walked out of here. She didn't even know. She told me. She said, I listened to your message. I didn't understand most of what you were saying. I know. But she said it was okay because God kept dealing with her. She has no church. She has no religion. She just came in here. God had set up somebody with a dream who happened to be tapped on the shoulder who said, would you help me pray for this person? Why? Both her ankles are shot up. Shut up. Jesus Christ. If I had a dollar for every time I heard my dad say that when I was a kid, I'd be rich. Jesus Christ, he used to say. There was no way I could have known at the time that those two words would be the name of the person who would become the radical priority of my life. There was no way I could have known. Jesus Christ. So much of how we endeavor to walk out our discipleship has to do with who we understand Jesus Christ to be. Period. I mean, it is the essential component, I think, of how we decide to walk out our discipleship following after Jesus. So we've got to know him. We have to know him to know what his words mean. You have to know the person who's speaking to you in order to know what their words mean. And Jesus said some very strange things. We have to know the one who said the last will be first and the first will be last to even know what he meant. We have to know the person who told the rich young ruler, oh yeah, you can follow me, no problem. Just go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. We have to know him to know what that means. We have to know the person who said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. In order to know what he meant. Let alone what he means now. I mean, the person saying it defines the meaning of the words. Suppose you heard a statement like, You guys are going into a fierce battle and we will live or die by how well we do what we have trained to do. If that was your football coach, ah. If that was the commander of your unit going into a military battle, it would mean something else. You've got to know the person who's saying the thing in order to know what the thing means. And we are wearing out the words of Jesus without giving consideration to Jesus. And we're reading the Bible backwards. We've decided who Jesus is, and so we take our manageable view of Jesus back into the Bible, and we put those words that he said into his mouth, but it's not really his mouth. It's the buddy Jesus. 
mouth. So I want to spend three Sundays prayerfully working through a a brief series called Jesus Christ. And I just want to talk about what I think are the three essential dimensions of the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, we could talk forever about Jesus. And we could make a long list of the dimensions of the person of Jesus Christ. But these, I think, are the three essential dimensions for us as followers, as those who want to follow him. And they are Son of God, Son of Man, and Reigning King. And I think as we get our hearts and our minds around these things and really just try to do an honest look at the Bible and not just play the church game, we may be able to come away with this with a grasp of who Jesus is in a greater way so that his words, they're more penetrating, they're more gripping, they're more conforming. You in? Let me try that again. Are you in? That was only 64% of you. But some of you just don't play, do you? i got to tell you something. You're not, you're not as cool as you think you are. Lord, we want to, we just really want to see your son. We want to see his face. We want to know him. We don't have time for anything less. We really don't have time for church unless it's the body of Christ. We don't have time for religion. We don't have interest. We're not even good at it here, Lord. We forget what we're supposed to do. We're disorganized. We're... Our attention span is so short here, Lord. I... We just need your face. We need your face in our faces. And I'm pleading with you, Lord, for the presence of your Holy Spirit to come into this room and to show us who you are. Thank you for healing this one this morning. We pray for her. Name of Jesus. Amen. So let's start with Jesus as the Son of God. The Bible clearly says that Jesus was and therefore is the Son of God. Did anybody get to John 3.16 yet? You got that far. It's probably the most well-known verse of the Bible for God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Begotten Son. Key words. Only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What does that statement even mean, that he's the son of God? I think, you might prepare to gasp on this one. I think that this terminology is flawed at its core, gasp. I know. Am I saying that the Bible is flawed? No, I'm saying that even the words of the Bible have limitations into how well they can describe God. I don't think the Bible is flawed at all. But here's what I'm thinking, is that as the Bible reveals Jesus as the Son of God the Father, only begotten Son of God the Father, there are limitations on what that can mean. Let me give you an example. That a son, as we understand fathers and sons, a son is never the exact replica of a father, ever. Right? I have four sons. I have four sons. Each one different from the other. Each one, you can say, oh, there's a dad right there. That's usually from his mom. You're acting like your dad there, buddy. (laughs) Not really. But in certain physical and character aspects, I can see, we can see elements of me in them. 
But they're really a blend of me and Karen, and they're a blend of all the things that have happened in their lives, and they are not an exact replica of me. But the good news is is they don't need to be because the world doesn't need another one of me. Correct. But here's the problem with the sonship idea with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So far, so good. But check this. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's identical. The son is the exact representation of God. So in that way, the son analogy begins to exceed its limits, doesn't it? Are you following me? You see, he's he's the radiance of God's glory. Now, we just went through this magnificent series where it was my hope to persuade you that we, as, as believers, we have the opportunity to reflect God's glory, but we can't radiate God's glory because it doesn't come from us. We reflect it as the moon reflects the light of the sun. We reflect the glory of God, but we can't radiate it because it radiates from God, but we reflect it. But Jesus is different. As a son here, it says he's the radiance of God's glory. So he has in and of himself some source reality of God that he radiates. And he's the exact representation of his being. And that does not completely match our understanding of a son. So how do we reconcile this, you ask? Go ahead, I dare you. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, duh. Now Paul said, now, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And so we visited this before. That on some of these points where we pull up and we do our best study and we do our best praying and we say, God, I still don't get it. It's like, well, there you go. It's because you're looking through a glass dimly. And we can't get it clear. But then we will. Then we will. And in the presence of God's glory in heaven, that whole father-son thing will go like, okay, now I have a way to understand it. But now I think God is using our best words, our best concepts to explain himself to us. And the best concept is that he is son. So what does it mean? I mean, what can we say about it then? Well, I think that if we're going to understand what Jesus being the Son of God is, is meant for, we, we have to focus on one word, and the word is substance. Substance. Like, what's the substance of Christ? What's the substance of Jesus Christ? This battle actually raged on in the early church for 300 years, sometimes violently. And the question was simply this. Was Jesus the same substance as God, or was he a similar substance? And you might be going, are you freaking serious? Why would that possibly make a difference? It'll make a difference if you'll follow me through this rock pile this morning, all right? I'll make a difference for you with it at the end of the teaching. The question is, was Jesus the same substance, or was he a similar substance? And as we have already said, in human terms, a son can be a similar thing to the father, but is never the same thing, right? 
And here's where the problem is. With God, it's a different story, and it has to be a different story. Because Jesus Christ coming to us, Jesus Christ coming to us, we didn't need him to be a similar thing. We needed him to be the same thing. We needed him to be a visiting God, the visiting God. We needed him to be, as we say, God incarnate. Or literally, that means God in the meat. That Jesus had flesh. The word became flesh, it says in John chapter 1. And that's what we needed him to do. The world needed him, did not need Jesus to resemble God, but to actually be God among us, the same substance. We needed Jesus to be the same as God, not similar to God because of what he came to do. Does that make sense? Thank you. This battle of the exact nature of Christ raged on, as I said, sometimes violently, until 325 A.D. Something happened in that year. Uh, Some of you may remember. From your history. Uh called the Council of Nicaea. It was called the Council of Nicaea because it was a council that happened in Nicaea. Wow, how creative. Which is part of present-day Turkey, just to give you some geographical reference. It was convened by the Roman Emperor Constantine in 325 A.D. because 13 years earlier, in 312, Constantine had converted to Christianity. He was the Roman Emperor, and a very cool thing happened. Catch this. Here's what happened. Constantine's out fighting a battle against the bad guys with his Roman soldiers, Right? And what happens is in the midst of this battle at this particular bridge, Constantine looks up at the sun in the sky and it morphs into the shape of a cross with the Greek words, not Latin, but the Greek words written underneath, in this win, in this, parentheses, you will win, the cross. And so what he had to do, he had the soldiers write the Cairo, the symbol for Christ, on their shields and they continued with the battle and in our parlance, they kicked a butt. <laughs> and so Constantine went away from that thing going, God's God. I now know who God is. And they won the battle and they went back and people got suspicious when Constantine returned to Rome and did not go immediately to the Roman temple to offer the sacrifices of victory to the gods. And he began talking about the fact that he was a Christian now. His mother had already converted to Christ earlier. And then one year later, in 313, Constantine issued what was called the Edict of Milan, which took all persecution off of all religions in Rome so that everybody in the Roman Empire could practice any religion they wanted to. So the the Christian church was no longer persecuted for being Christians. And what happened is because Constantine was a Christian, although it wasn't formally announced, Christianity effectively became the official state religion of the Roman Empire. Does that make sense? Okay, that happened all in 312 and 313. Now, in 325, what happened was that uh, 12 years later, uh, Constantine convened a gathering of over 300 delegates, 300 leaders from various factions of the church throughout the Roman Empire, which was pretty much the civilized world as we would probably think of it at this time. And he brought 300 of these people together in Nicaea, and he said, I commission you to answer two questions. One, when is Easter? That was one question. Because everybody was like celebrating Easter any old time they wanted to. You know, there was no organization to all these crazy Christians. Hey, let's have Easter. And the reason is, is because every Sunday was supposed to be 
Easter, exactly, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. So he said, can we get our poop in a group and all decide here what it is that we're doing for Easter? And so he could come up with some methodology for determining the date of Easter. Okay, but the second one was a bigger question. He said, and could we finally settle this divisive question about whether Jesus is the same or similar substance as God? So they gave themselves to 30 days of prayerful debate, at the end of which they took a vote. <clears throat> of the 300 or more delegates who were there, all but two, Arius and his buddy, of course, the Arian controversy, duh, right? Exactly, okay. All but two laid down their heart on, you know, no, he's the same substance of God. He is a begotten of the Father. He's not a similar substance that's made out of nothing, but he proceeded from the Father. And from this Council of Nicaea, an amazing document emerged called the Nicene Creed. Some of you are familiar with the Nicene Creed. Some of you are probably very familiar with the Nicene Creed because you were fetched up in churches where every Sunday you read out of the book the Nicene Creed, yes? And perhaps you read it so many times that it began to lose its meaning. Yeah, I wasn't fetched up in church at all, and so when I finally did start going to church, it wasn't in a very formal church, but we still had our empty little things that we did. And most memorable for me was that at the end of every offering, once the offering was passed that Aunt Tilly hit this chord on the organ, boom! And everybody stood up, and everybody knew to sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. As we marched the money up. Ain't God good? And that was our Nicene Creed, basically, because it was a meaningless hiccup in every church service I was ever in. And you know what really cranked me off? I was brand new to all this, and nobody told me what page that song was on in the book. <laughs> nobody. I mean, you talk about being left out. Hello? Jeesh already. But this Nicene Creed, and a creed is simply a summary of a set of beliefs, right? Uh, and it has been ritualized and read and recited every Sunday by many, many groups of Christians. But what this ultimately did in the beginning was it unified a multicultural, multi-ethnic church around a core set of beliefs. Summarized in this thing called the Nicene Creed, it continues to hold the church together today. Because when you look at a Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, Sons of God, Salvation, Army, Calvary, Chapel, and Vineyard churches, and everybody else who calls on the name of Jesus, if there is one thing that unites us, if there's one thing we agree on, is that Jesus Christ is the same substance as God. And you're confused sometimes, aren't you, when you think about all these different kind of churches. Like, well, what's up with that? Why do they do that? And what's all this? And blah, blah, blah. Why, why don't we do this? Why doesn't Tom ever wear a hat? You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. I mean, what's different? Well, the difference are the core things on the outside that don't make a whit of difference to God, I don't think, either. But what matters is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? And he's the same substance of God. So focus on that part of the Nicene Creed I've underlined and enlarged for you there. It says, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. So in the end, the Sonship of Jesus Christ is based on the eternal reality that he was and is the exact 
substance as God. Now, in case you want to read that in the Bible, instead of taking the vote of 300 men in 325, that would be in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, For in Christ all the fullness of God, fullness of the deity, lives in bodily form. There's a Bible for you right there. I don't know why they had to fight about it for 300 years and have a meeting about it. It says it right there. It says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 14, Jesus was having a conversation with Jesus with his disciples. This was part of what he just finished saying, In my Father's house are many mansions, which is good news for later, right? And... Um, and then they started going, uh, uh, he said, I'm going to go away. And they're saying, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? That's where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, this continues, this conversation. And in John chapter 14, Jesus said, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So Jesus is saying, you see me, you see the Father. And now, can you imagine these poor disciples? How confusing this must have been. Are you the Son or are you the Father? I mean, you, you can't be both. We don't know how to think about that. Can you see these poor guys going... Somebody ask Peter. Peter's got to know. Like, he hangs around with them more than anybody else. What, what does he mean by that? And you see, you've got to know who Jesus is to even get the meaning of that. But he says we're one. We're one. That Jesus Christ, this is the key, Jesus Christ, as Son of God, is a pure, begotten form of God himself. That's key. Why is it key, you ask? Here's the significance. Two things. One, because as God, Jesus did something for us that only God can do. And that's remedy the broken relationship that we have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Wow. Why? so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God made him and effectively made himself in the second person of the Trinity to be sin for us. I mean, it's not just that he bore our sin. He became on the cross the full representation of our sin. So that why? So that as we come to him and what he completed for us on the cross of Christ, here's the trade. We give him our sin, we leave with his righteousness. What? I know. <laughs> we bring him our sin, we leave with his righteousness. That's what that Bible verse says, yes? It says it a little longer in Romans chapter 3. Paul says, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. That is that God wants to give us a righteousness that we don't have on our own. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I get a witness? Cowards. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, it all begins by confession, right? I mean, it begins by acknowledging. Denial ain't just a river in Egypt, right? 
All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now here's where it gets interesting, more interesting. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement. He did something. God presented Him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate what? His justice, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So Jesus, as God, is not only the acceptable payment for justice, but he's he's actually justifying himself to himself. Now can you understand why this poor 20-year-old in the wheelchair didn't understand a thing I was saying? First time in church? Okay, pray for her, right? Pray for me. So, in dying on the cross, Jesus did something that he had to be God. He had to be God to do this, to accomplish this. He couldn't have been just a sort of God, similar to God. He had to be God to be the acceptable, the acceptable solution to our very deep problem. And then the work of the unique and only begotten Son of God gives rise to our opportunity then to become sons of God. Listen, the work of the unique and only begotten Son of God gives rise to my opportunity to become a son of God, to your opportunity to become a daughter of God, though in a different way. Because we, Melody and I, we will never be begotten of God, will we? We'll never be begotten in the way that Jesus is begotten. But the cool thing is, is we're both fully adopted, right? Fully adopted. We got an equal place at his table because he paid the price for adoption. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, all who received him, you can do that today, to those who believed in his name, who trust in this, who put their faith in this, he gave the right to become the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. And this is a work, listen, this is a work, this is so key, that Jesus did historically for us. Hebrews 10, verse 10 says, And by that will we have been made holy, past tense, Melody and I have already been made holy, though we some days are better than others, right? At least for me. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That's done. It's finished. So the question is, I think the, the application question is, do you consider your salvation to be a finished work? Or is it a hope? Is it a wish? It's like, man, I hope I'm saved. I don't know. I mean... It's done. It's either done or it's in process. It's either done or it's not done. I mean, maybe you're just wishing you're saved. Maybe you're just hoping you're saved. Maybe that's why you're in church today. Maybe you're just hoping Jesus comes right back now and finds you here and it'll count. I don't know. I don't know. But is it done or isn't it done? If Jesus is God and he came to pay the price and you put your faith in him, then it's done. It's done. I uh, once met a a monk at a monastery that I was visiting who said something to me I'll never forget. And he and I were were talking. It was a silent monastery, uh, which is a great place to go. And... and, uh, this, the, these brothers in this monastery, they took turns coming out and being with the retreatants, people who go there to be silent. 
and talking with them and help them. So you can imagine they're ready to talk, right? I mean, I get to go out. And so anyway, so we're talking. We're talking about Jesus and uh, talking about how amazing it is to know Jesus. And we're just tracking like this, right? We're just talking about how amazing it is to know Jesus. I mean, here I am, a pastor in this world, and he's a brother monk in another world. And we were just really meeting each other on this. And then I said, and the good thing about this, Brother Luke, is that at the end of this, we get to go to heaven. And I'll never forget what he said back to me. He said, yeah, he said, but we're going to have to swim across a river of mercy to get there. And I just said to him, if we have to swim, it's not mercy. Jesus did the work. There's no swimming across any river to get to heaven. Jesus did the swimming. Jesus did all the work. Our work is to have faith in Him. That's the limit. That's the end of our work. Our work is to place our faith in Him. And when we do, it's done. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm forgiven of the sins I committed yesterday. I'm, I'm forgiven of the sins I've committed today. And I'm already forgiven of the sins that I promised God I won't do tomorrow. And that's not a license to go do whatever I want. But it's the acknowledgement that when I fail, I'm already forgiven. Because my faith is in Jesus. So there's that as far as an application. But the second application of Jesus being the Son of God is that God in Jesus does something for us now that only He can do. It's not just this historic work on the cross to cancel our sins, but it's the present connection and experience that we have with God through His Son, uh, Jesus, but through the power of His Holy Spirit. And uh, you have needs today, right? You got a hole in here? You got something that's just not fulfilled? And we put labels on it. We put labels on it like, well, what I need there is a drink. I just need some alcohol there. And I need some drugs. I need some sex. I need, I need some porn there. That'll, I need some food. That's what I need. And we just have this list. I, 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 I just need to hate myself. I need to cut myself. That'll, that'll cause that to stop. I, I need to do that. I, I need to do that. And that's the label on there. You rip that label off, and behind it is God. It's a, Pascal called it a God-shaped void. It's, it's always the same. That what you're, really, what you're really, really craving is God. Is God in that place. And the enemy works night and day in your life to put another label on it, right? How well is that working out so far? Hmm? You've got to peel that off. Got to peel that off. Invite God in. Personal encounter with God. And because Jesus is the Son of God, God himself, Jesus is the answer. In 1 John 1, 1 through 4, the apostle said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This was written by John, who was one of the disciples, right? Followed Jesus around. And he's saying historically, he said, The life appeared, and we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now the tense changes a little bit because this is written like 30 or 40 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. So it had been 30 or 40 years since this apostle had actually 
physically seen Jesus or heard his voice. And he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is now with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I know he's been gone for 30 or 40 years, but we're still having fellowship with him. We're still experiencing him. And he's saying, I'm writing this to you so that you can experience him. That you don't have to have lived when his feet were on the earth to encounter him and experience him. And this is an invitation into experiential fellowship with God. And he says, if you do that, it'll make your joy complete. Then you pour the drugs in, pour the alcohol in. Pour whatever goes in there. Pour the porn in. Go ahead. Pour the promiscuity in. Go ahead. I don't usually make lists, do I? One sin's about as good as another. Pour something in there. Go ahead. But your joy won't be complete. The pain will stop for about this long. Yeah? I'm the same as you. But there's no joy. He said, when you have fellowship with the Son, the Son Jesus, who proceeds from the Father, then you have joy. Okay, that's about all i got to say about that. But let's go here as we get ready to go. In John 14, 11, Jesus said, Believe in me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. He said, Believe me. Believe me. But, he says, but if you can't, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Last week, Allison came up and shared her story with us. Three years ago, they gave her two months to live. And God has blessed her. And I don't know what would define a miracle for you. I don't know what would have to change before your eyes. What prayer would have to be answered for you to say, that's God right there. But Jesus is calling you out and saying, if you can't believe me because I'm saying it, he says, I get that then believe on the evidence of the miracles. You say, I haven't seen any miracles. All I've done is read about them. Well, then that's your problem. That's apparently your problem because God is apparently willing to make people who come in wheelchairs with shot up feet walk out of here. I'd call that a miracle. You know, I, I'd be a fool not to believe in God these days anymore. I have so much data in my lifetime from seeing God move. I have more rational reason, more scientific reason to believe in God than I do need faith for. Where are you? You say, I need to see a miracle. All right, let's get her done. Let's step out there, your biggest problem, and let's, let's take him up on his word. He said, you can't believe in me because I'm saying it? Then believe on me because of the miracles. What are you throwing down before God Reverently, he's God, humbly. You're putting it out there before God and saying, God, I need you to do this. What are you doing? What are you desperate for? Are you just sort of marking time? What are you praying desperately for? Let's have some prayer ministry people come up. Come on. Andale, andale. You guys believe that God would work a miracle if you prayed for it? Say yes or sit down. Okay. So now we need some sick people 
Now all we need are some broken people. Now all we need are some people who say, I need God to do this. I just, you know, you realize this. You're not asking him to win the lottery or get you a new husband or something. You're asking him to do something that's just got to be done in your life for your life to, to work. Maybe you need your body healed. These people are up there saying, I could believe for a miracle right now. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Can we stand? Can we ask anybody who would like to be the beneficiary of people who believe God wants to do a miracle in your life to come right now? And just come? And just come to these people? Pick one. Maybe God will tell you. Maybe you won't know which one to go to. You just go. Jesus said, if you can't believe because I'm saying it, he says, I get that. Believe on the evidence of the miracles. You say, I don't have any evidence. Well, come get some. Keep it simple when you pray. Keep in mind, we're not God. God's God. You're just a hose. Let's sing something.